We are living in very, very exciting times. There's tremendous changes happening. And uh, before we get into some of the really juicy discussions that there are to be had, and there's so much that uh, we're going to need to really um, pick and choose what we're going to talk about, um, we're, we're going to first give a little bit of an introduction as to the topic, the, what, what, what really is uh, so exciting, there's so much buzz about. Um, being that we're going to be limited, I was told that we have to end around by midnight. It's a hard <laughs> stop. So um, I'm going to ask you to please take whatever notes uh, you, you need, um, maybe on your phone or try to remember. There are supposed to be some note cards coming, some, some index cards um, with writing utensils back there. Uh, but uh, we're not going to be able to field questions as it's going. I will try to save a little bit of time at the end for questions. If not, I'm happy to stick around for after Marv. We can discuss it. We can. Uh, there's lots to talk about. Okay. So first of all, just what's so exciting? Someone recently said to me, "Okay, yo, great. You're going to get the, the you know the new the new phone or the new Roomba, you know, vacuuming machine." Uh, um, we have to understand something. The history of man um, augmenting his abilities with external uh, tools has had, you know, a number of, of uh, real kind of watershed moments. A really big one was the invention of fire. That did a lot for man because it allowed us to eat a lot more food than we otherwise could. So that augmented our GI system. Um, another one was we managed to augment these wonderful 10 fingers that we have um, with tools such as you know knives and uh, hammers and all sorts of things like that. So that did a lot for us as well. So augmenting our limbs. Um, we managed to augment you know, our environment through farming. Something that I find fascinating is we have been augmenting our minds for a long time through writing. Writing was a big one. However, that writing only really did one thing, which is to augment our memories. It did not help us in processing information. Okay? So the incredible thing here is that at the end of the day, the most powerful tool that man has had the entire journey along the way has been his mind, his brain, his cognition, and the, the topic that's being discussed over here is the augmentation of our processing power, of our cognition, which obviously takes things to a whole new level. It's really good to have a, to have a screwdriver, it's really good to have a, a, a steam-powered machine, it's very good to have you know, uh, all the wonderful technology that we have nowadays, but technology is just more and more sophisticated um, screwdriver hammer that's augmenting our hands. Now we're talking about potentially augmenting the mind, augmenting the cognitive power. That's why this is so important to discuss and to try to understand what will happen and what, what that means for us and... Um, it's also a tremendous springboard opportunity 
to think about the types of things that really we should be thinking about all the time, and um, you know, perhaps we, we've, uh, we've been negligent on, on, on that account. And um, also, I want to ask everyone who is kind of like over there to please shuffle a little bit this way to distribute at least a few people to get up and move that way so, uh, so that we have a more even distribution so that in case more people come in later, there will be, um, be room for everyone. Okay. Um, so I guess the first thing that everyone is talking about is, uh, and you know, we have to deal with that as well, especially um, you know with the call of fundraiser coming up, is uh, is economics, right? So, so what, what what's going to happen with economics? So economics, employment, yeah. So employment, we can talk about first. Let's talk about voluntary unemployment. Voluntary unemployment means that uh, a famous economist, John Keyes. Um, back in the 1930s, predicted by today, people will be working 15-hour work weeks for the very simple reason that as you get more and more productive every hour of your work, you, you're able to generate more stuff. And as you generate more stuff, you don't need to work as much. That's a prediction. Needless to say, people are working 40, 50 hours a week, 60 something. Um, so that, that prediction did not come true. Any, any guesses why that is? Obviously, there's a counterbalance called called desire. Right? People want more stuff. As they became more productive, they just whatever level th their productivity went up to, that was always matched by an ever increasing, ever hungry desire for more and more and more things. So, with the tremendous, tremendous power of AI that's coming our way, of of actually augmenting human cognition. And and uh, you know empowering us to be so much more productive than we've ever been. At the end of the day, um, you know if the if the seemingly if the desire just keeps on going up in proportion to the productivity, we're we're, we're never gonna decrease the amount of time that we're working. We're gonna increase tremendously in the. Um, quality goods that we have, you know, uh, just everyone's going to be, you know, eating caviar and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what else, it, it, you know, there's going to be lots and lots of really um, expensive things that every common person will, will be consuming. Um, needless to say that this is a, a point for us to reflect and to ask ourselves, are we going to fall into that or are we going to actually join John Keynes and say, you know what? I'm going to work 15 hours a week and I'm going to be all right. The Torah talks to us about being the stopic bumut. It's, it's, it's enough. You don't have to have the fancy thing. You don't have to have the... the so, uh, so, so far now we're seeing more and more that people, have had, people are having the, the ability to sit down and to reflect and to... And to, and to um, there's not an absolute need to work like there once was. And that's going to keep on getting more and more uh, prominent, of course, assuming that we can rein in our, uh, our desires. That's as far as voluntary employment means to say people may choose to voluntarily stop working or decrease working if they're willing to live 
uh, you know, on the quality of a life that, uh, you know, that, that, that today what's considered a rich person lives. A person who's willing to live like that and, uh, you know, not have that hovercraft, then, uh, th- th- then you could do that. that but let's talk, let's talk about forced unemployment, which means to say um, where there's just no need for human work. That, that's, that's, a, that's a different type of a discussion. I mean, if you'd, if you'd like a job, no one would give you one because you're not as good as the combination of artificial intelligence plus robot, right? The, 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 those, that combination um, allows for, for, for a lot of the jobs to be done. And, uh, you know, a lot of the discussions are um, that potentially the jobs, you know, besides, you know, the obvious ones, secretarial and accounting and, you know, uh, drivers and uh, all that uh, – Jobs like doctors um, are also quite high up on the list because, as far as just crunching information, crunching numbers, and and uh, you know producing the giving out the the answers, uh, that, that that's something that's that's potentially coming down the pipeline. Um, obviously, it's not. It's only something to be scared of for a workaholic, right? Meaning a person who understands that that. The, together with this is going to come tremendous wealth for society, tremendous wealth. If, if all these things can be done by, by robots, by AI, the cost of everything is going to you know, be extremely minimal. The wealth is going to be unbelievable. And uh, seemingly the, 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 the few rich people who will own all these, all these uh, robots will be... Um, mandated by the government to support everybody else. That that seems to be where things are going, um, which you know seems like for the rich people they're going to be billionaires. That that's all right, and for us little guys that's also great. You know we get we get to be supported. So uh, that sounds like a pretty um, nice scenario to me. Not, not, not very scary. Um, the big question, the really the really interesting question is what are all these unemployed and subsidized people gonna do with their lives that's that is an interesting question and um, you know I'm told that uh, there's a world famous uh, businessman Jack Mao he says that people should start learning how to be artists dancers and uh, and uh, poets because that's that's really what you're going to be dedicating your lives towards. Um, you know, it's a maybe. Maybe he's right. It sounds uh, maybe a little bit too idealistic. Probably the way things have been going is not everyone's a poet. Not everyone is a is an artist. Not everyone is a is a dancer. Um, but you know, the world of virtual reality and um, you know. World of, of of imagination of demyonos of of antidepressants that 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 industry has been growing tremendously and seemingly unless people discover a new reason to live so far the reason to live has been because I'm working and living and and why are you why are you so interested in living so that I can live and if you really press them then they say so that my children can live. Why? So that they should have children that they should live. So we need to make up. We need to make up our nasa 
so that we can continue kicking the can down the street. That's what ultimately a lot of people will say to you. But once that's taken away from them, and that's not an option anymore. That's not, that's not, uh, you're, you're, you're being given a check every month. And no one's asking anything from you. So why, why you wake up tomorrow morning? What are you waking up for? And it's a question even from people. Right? I remember hearing a long time ago in Yeshiva that a Mishgiach once said that, you know what, all of my boys, it's not true, but 100%, but it's a, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good so, you know all of my boys, all of my boys forever, it's the same thing. It's you stuck in the base midrash with nothing else to do but to learn. So for the people that love learning, it's it, it's 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 uh, it's, it's ganeden, and for the people that 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 uh, that, that never developed a time for it, it's it's gehenim. Like I said, it's losabras uh, ozen maybe is uh, we'll take it, but um, let's let's change it to let's change it to a room, not not learning exclusively, but a room where. All you can do is serve Hashem. That's all you can do. A room where all, all it's asked from you is to serve Hashem. And you have all the opportunity to do it and nothing and, and nothing besides. So a person who loves serving Hashem, that's an incredible world. For a person who doesn't even know what that means, he has no flavor for it, he's not interested in it. He wants to be out there building bridges, doing things. It, it, it could it be a little bit rough. It could be a little bit rough. It's not, not clear what, what the... What the, what the how those people are going to fare when when they're given, you know, basically the equivalent of uh, set up set up for life. A lot of people are very excited about the societal changes. This is going to be really great things. We're going to, you know, all those things we've been wanting to do. We're going to do all those things we've been trying to do. Um, well, let's let's discuss some of these incredible things that everyone's been interested in doing. So, of course, right away, you know, hunger and poverty is up there. Disease, aging, death, that's a big one. War, tyranny, ignorance. Those are, those are all things that people wish would cease from the world. So hunger and poverty. There's no question about it. If people wanted to eliminate hunger and poverty... There's plenty of wealth to do it today. It could be done tomorrow. The choice has been made not to. Now, it could be that Baidi gets so much wealthier, it's just going to be almost like, you know, it'll be very hard, it'll be more, ever more difficult to justify not to. You know, like, I mean, if it would take 10% of your wealth to get rid of hunger and poverty in the world, so well, I, should, I should give up my, I should give up my, 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 my yacht, I should give up my good things. To, to you know, to make sure there's nobody dying of hunger, not so fast. But what if it's what if it's one percent of your wealth? What is it half a percent of your wealth? So that indeed will seemingly help. Now again, obviously, then those people will graduate to new problems such as depression and you know obesity and all the other wonderful issues that uh, the Western world has. But okay, that 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 one uh, there is what to be done. Um, disease and aging, so. Everybody wants to live. People want to be healthy. They want to live. Uh, I, I live. I live to be. I eat healthy. I exercise. Why do so? I should live longer. That's why I'm living. That's that's why I'm living. So I should live longer. How long do you want to live? You want to live as long as they lived in the Dora Mabel? They used to live a very long time back then. You know what living for a very long time does to a person? 
person feels like I got all the time in the world to do to do to do anything meaningful. So in the meantime, I'm going to waste my time. There's no there's no feeling of the the clock is ticking, right? When you when you see these little gray hairs popping up on your beard, right? Like I like I have now. It's, you, you you get you get the message, right? And you understand the, you, you got to go, you got to work. I have, to, I have to make something of this life. A person feels like, listen, I got I got another couple hundred years until you know, like I have to start thinking about anything. That may or not may not be a great thing. War and tyranny. To say that uh, the potential of tremendously powerful weapons, that's, that's obvious. With, with, any, with, anything, with anything new, with any power, there's, uh, obviously it's always going to be used for, for war as well by people, and uh, you know, that's something that... Um, but I don't know how much is going to change already. There's enough power to destroy the world. So if whatever balance of power they're managing to strike now, um, hopefully they'll, they'll keep on doing that. They'll keep on... Keep on Everyone being scared enough to use it. What is very interesting is the possibility for uh, for dictatorial regimes to monitor absolutely everything the entire population does that Stalin never managed to do. Right? Uh, he had he had the he had the KGB. He had he had all the he had all the all the spies. They were they were very very good. But at the end of the day, people could. You know, hidden. I'm talking from family, from from, from my family. You know, they, they, they could, they could, uh, in in this, between certain people in in a dark room, you you could still say something. You could, you could communicate. You could say something. You could think separate thoughts. With the possibility of of monitoring uh, cell phones, communications is so there's billions of these signals. Nobody can monitor any of this stuff. It's way too much for for anyone to to listen in on everything. As long as there's no, as long as there's no, you know, you don't have this uh, this artificial intelligence with such processing power that can literally process everything, every text message, every, and not only know exactly what you're saying, but figure out what you're thinking behind those messages, put things together. Oh, he went to this university, and then he went to the, he joined this club, and then he went there to Israel for a year, and then now he got himself a you know a gun license and then. Uh, I know which bucket to put him into, right? This is uh, this, this guy, right? So this is uh, this is definitely something that um, is uh, something to keep an eye out for. And finally, self improvement. It's going to be so easy. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be you know every everybody you just plug in some chip back here. All of a sudden, you're big chacham. You know everything. You're big tzaddik, you, you're very, very nice meadows, you're very, very pleasant, right? Because you plugged in a little chip in the back of your mind. I don't think it's going to work that way. Um, we're going we're gonna to discuss, Baz Hashem, soon, a lot of how the processing works, the difference in how the brain processes information and how computers process information. And they're, and they're fundamentally different. The way that the brain learns information is we have billions, hundreds of billions of neurons, cells that communicate with one another. And they establish relationships with one another. And every time that we attempt to learn something, we are setting up those relationships between 
an entire pattern of these neurons. And then as we review it, and we strengthen it, and we act on it, we strengthen, we strengthen that relationship, we, we empower that relationship, and, and, and concretize it. Which means that our knowledge is experience-based. As I experience something, either in the real world or at least within the chambers of my mind, that thinking, that experience, that process itself establishes and strengthens those pathways, those neuronal pathways, those relationships that correlate to this belief, to this experience, to this behavior. Human beings have an experience-based knowledge. Computers have data. Data that is stored somewhere, and since it's data, it's immediately known to the computer, whatever the word known means, but it's there. You can upload it, you can download it, you can move it around. For a human being to learn something, we have to strengthen all those neural connections. The way that those neural connections are strengthened is by firing them. When you fire a particular pattern of neural connections over and over and over, those neural connections themselves become stronger, become easier to fire, become easier to think those same thoughts. That's what we're doing in here. This is, uh, by the way, welcome everyone. Colter Sami, the new building. This looks very nice, right? Okay, so that's what we do here. We rewire our brains. Every time we come here, we're rewiring our brains. We're strengthening the correct neural pathways. And we're weakening the incorrect ones. Every time I say bad svarah, my chavrutza screams at me. And you should see the faces he makes me. It's, it's unbelievable. Right? And, and so I learn to not think that way anymore. And I learn and I strengthen the other, the other connection. That, that knows what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's, it's hard. Right? It's hard. But it's, but it's experience-based. You do it over and over and changes and changes the connections. So... There's no data that you can download. It's stored in the living cells themselves, in the relationships in living cells. Imagine you know, all of us in this room, like a, like a neuron, and when we all have a certain relationship with one another, the only way you can change is by, is by having more relationships. Now, what you could do is you could just help a person experience something over and over and over and over again. Um... Such, uh, that, you know, that, that's something that is uh, really up to us to do. Um, but as far as downloading or uploading anything, uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, these are two systems that just have no, have no, um, have no way to, to work together. One other important thing about our society that's going to that's gonna be challenged, and we're going to need to discuss this, is to the point that the robots with, with intelligence, if, uh, if they manage to create such things, um, are going to be found amongst us 
there's going to be a challenge of understanding what is the difference between us and them and maintaining that border. We know that we know that um, Hazal warned us very carefully. In fact, it's, it's a Pasuk. The Bilam describes Klauser on the Pasuk of Klauser dwelling by themselves, separately, off to the side. And the reason is because we look so much like our non-Jewish um, brothers. And what happens is they live very different lives than we do. They, they are not a, the chosen nation. They are not the ones who have been designated as the priests of Hashem. But they look so much like us. And they behave so much like us. If we're going to be together with them in, intensely, completely intermingled, then we stand very possibly to lose our own identity, forget the specialness, forget who we are, and begin behaving like them. And that would, be, that would be a terrible thing. We're supposed to do the other way around. We're supposed to stay separate and live an uplifted, transcendent life and be an example for them and be a, be a light unto the nations. So, but the point is you see this danger that when you, when you interact with people who are superficially like you, although internally, on the level of soul, there's a fundamental difference, it's very easy to lose sight of that. And it's very easy to begin equating and then treating the two of them similarly. Obviously, the danger with interacting with, uh, with such robots would be the dehumanizing effect that we would have on humans themselves. Thinking about ourselves and thinking about our peers as nothing but another robot. And obviously, the bigger question, you know, before we can talk about the dangers of this, we have to discuss, is there indeed a difference? Is there indeed a difference? We're going to get to that in the second part of the shear. It's going to be the more philosophical. This is the more practical. This is the more practical, guys. This is more philosophical later, so hold on to your seats. Okay. So, um, I would say the summary, the takeaway from, from this whole discussion is like this. Technology, the Torah teaches us, Technology, all advancements, like we said before, it's another augmentation to the human being. It's another tool. It's an unbelievable tool, but a tool. And every tool is only as good as the one using it. And this is going to be an incredible tool, perhaps the greatest one we've ever invented. And that means there's going to be such a much greater responsibility on us to use it responsibly, to use it correctly. Needless to say, we are in the days of the coming of Mashiach. It's, uh, the, the, this is not, not to be ignored. Okay, so the, uh, that's, that's, the, that, that's kind of the practical side of things. There's going to be some very serious moral questions coming down the pipeline. And that is because there's, we're not yet there. Right now, the artificial, te- uh, artificial intelligence that we have is called narrow artificial intelligence, which means if you, if you give it a particular task, it can learn how to do this task, and it can work on it, and it can figure, it can figure out 
and, and do an unbelievable job. The discussions, the, you know, the, the, all, all the hype is about the anticipation of what's called general intelligence. General intelligence means that the thing actually becomes smart. And then it can teach itself new things, it can, it can develop itself, it can grow, etc. Now, obviously, it will never be anything more than what we launched it as. If you launch it, you know, whatever are the parameters, the starting parameters, similar to an animal, it has an instinct of self-preservation. That's just what it is. If the animal could grow, it could become bigger, it could become much more sophisticated, smarter. But at the end of the day, it's never going to get beyond what it essentially is because it has no reason to. There's, no, there's, no, there's never a reason to rewrite one's essential rotsum because, th- because that's what I want. So everything I'm going to do is going to be towards that. So whatever we put into this potential artifi- uh, artificial general intelligence henceforth to be referred to as AGI. Now, whatever we put into it, whatever goals, whatever morals are put into it, that is, is going to take that and run with it. And the understanding of, 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 of a lot of the experts is that once it does run with it and learns to reprogram itself to do a better and better job at it, the programs are going to get so sophisticated, you're not going to be able to just pause it and send in like a team of computer programmers to reprogram it because something is going a little bit wrong, right? It's going to get way too sophisticated. It's going to start using languages that we don't even understand, potentially. Which means that there's a lot of interest right now in saying, hey, we actually have to know what to program into this thing. Isn't that scary? You actually have to have a plan for human life. You have to have, you have, to have your goals set up. Right? So right now, People don't have any concrete goals. What's your goal? I don't know. I mean, you elect a president for four years. How much of a goal do you need already? In four years, you can change the goal. You can go this way, that way, this way, that way. Right? Uh, so you just, you're just uh, kind of getting by. And, and that's perfect because then you don't, you don't need any moral system. You don't need anything concrete. And you can just pretend that life is okay. But now all of a sudden someone says to you, hey, Here's a genie lamp. You get three wishes. Be careful what you wish for. It might happen. Right? And then people started saying, wait a second. I, I didn't even know what that, what that would be. Right? So the famous, uh, the fam- the famous story of uh, King Midas, I think was his name. Right? He, he knew what he was. Oh, gold. I want go- anything I touch, I want to turn to gold. That's a good plan. Right? until you play it out to its logical conclusion. So, you touched a vase, turned to gold. Touched an apple, turned to gold. Well, what happens five hours later when you get hungry? You can't eat anything because everything's turning turn to gold. And what happens when your daughter comes in to hug you and you touch her and she turns to gold? What happens when the when they tell her, tell you, hey, you know what we want? We want this. And it says, okay. Here we go. Where, where is it going to end up? Have to have a very, very good goals. Have to have very clear goals that we put into this thing. And right now, there's very little goals because humanity is just kind of mostly taking care of its basic essential needs.
In Yiddish, Kai Baruch Hashem, we, very, we, we know exactly what we want. So, hopefully the Kabbalah asks us. I think they will. That's, that's uh, like we mentioned before. That's, that's where it's heading. But we have to, ourselves, have it clear. Morality. A basic question. Uh, a self-driving car has to veer off the road. And it's going to hit some pedestrians. And it can hit this car or that car. This car has multiple elderly, elderly passengers. This car has one young passenger. What do you do? That's one example of a thousand different moral questions that the secular society has absolutely no answer for because they have no coherent moral system to guide their lives. Until now, America has been a lazy... You know, you each one do what you, do what you believe. Everyone can do what he believes. More or less, as long as it doesn't feed on me. But when you have to take this thing and you have to put into it a moral system and it's going to take and run with it, you have to have a pretty clear idea of where you're going. So these are, these are very exciting times. It's very exciting time, especially for rabbis. Finally, finally, they're going to come. All of us are going to come, come ask us questions, right? Okay. Um, so these are opportunities for us to ask ourselves all these questions as well. Okay. Part one is over. I'm about to start part number two. Let's say they create this AGI, this, and it goes super intelligent. Super intelligence. That means its intelligence so far supersedes human intelligence, we have no idea even how it's making its decisions. It begins to run everything, and it's a crystal ball. You ask it questions, yeah, should I marry this girl or not? It's a, go ahead, marry her, right? That's uh, not even... Um, so who's greater? Who's greater, human being or AGI? And it's important to know that because it has to do with rights. Rights are always based on who's greater. Um, I'll give you an easy example. Nowadays, there's a big question in society. Do people have a right to kill animals and eat their flesh? And you know why that question came up? Because there's a more fundamental question underlying that question. Who is greater, a human being or an animal? And until recently, the question has been pretty obvious. A human being is greater. Now they're not so sure. And they may be right. Um, the Gemara says that ideally an Amha'aretz a person of the land, a person who is exclusively physical, a non-spiritual entity should not eat meat. The Gemara said this. Gemara Chulun. Why? The answer is because you have no right to. Who gave you the right to kill this animal? Eat it. I mean, rights are based on greatness. Greatness says that compared to me, this thing is not alive. Life is a matter of qualitative, you know, quantum leaps, right? 
plans our life to a certain extent, but so far, you know, most people are willing to eat plants. They, right? Animals are alive. Animals have no problem eating plants. Even the herbivores, which are like the really nice ones, Bambi, they also eat plants. And they don't feel bad about it. Right? Bambi would never kill somebody. It's, it's, it's so peaceful. It's so nice. But, but, but it'll eat a plant, no problem. Right? And then humans have been eating animals ever since the flood of Noah. Um, because of the fact that man is fundamentally greater. So now the question is, who would be greater? Who could eat who? Could I eat AGI or could AGI eat me? I'm not talking about power right now. Let's assume the thing is, uh, let's assume it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's following its program. Or is, but, the, but nonetheless, who, whose existence is, is greater? So the truth is that it has everything to do with the holiday that we're celebrating right now, Hanukkah. It was a machlaikis that we had with the Yavonim, we had with the Greeks. The machlaikis was about, they didn't have AGI back then, but they did know about angels. And the Greeks said that angels are greater than man. And we said that we are greater than angels. What's the Machlechus? So you're going to say the Greeks were more humble than we are. And we're a bunch of Balegaiva, right? But no, that, that is not the case. <laughs> they were not humble people. They were Balegaiva. And we're the humble ones. An angel is a great being. An angel fulfills a fundamental purpose for which Hashem created the world. The Midrash tells us, Darshan's a Pasuk in Mishle. Pasuk says, Kol pa'al Hashem lema'anehu. All of Hashem's creation, His action, was lema'anehu, was for Himself. But says, what does that mean? It means everything Hashem created, He created lichvodo, for His own honor. It means everything that exists in the world, the loftiest thing that you can ever do, the greatest thing that you can ever do, is to bring honor to Hashem's name. And angels do that. Angels recognize Hashem's greatness, and like we saw in in uh, last week's parsha, they recognize Hashem's greatness and they go sing shira. Right, the angels sing shira; they sing song to Hashem because they recognize how great He is. Which means that angels are conscious beings; they're conscious; they can reflect on what they perceive. On, w- on what they're aware of, they reflect on it, and they're awed. They're awed by Hashem. They're blown away, and they sing shira. They sing song to Hashem, and that, and that is a very key function of creation: is to recognize Hashem's greatness. And in that regard, they are unimpeded by a physical body. 
The physical body blocks Hashem out of our lives. It makes our eyelids heavy that we can't see Him. It, it distracts us. We get lost in the, uh, in the jelly donut. Angels don't have those problems. So they're intellectual beings. They're constantly contemplating, reflecting, and <coughs> praising Hashem for His absolute, uh, uh, absolutely blown away by how incredible Hashem is. What about humans? What about us? So Chazal say that we can do something even greater. We are Bali Bechira. We are people, we are, we are free will. And free will not only requires consciousness, but free will requires that there's something, there's an impediment. There's something that says, no, I will not listen to Hashem. No, I will not recognize His greatness. No, I will not go that way. And the honor, the greatness, the glory of Hashem is so important to us. It's so great that I overcome it and I take it and I elevate it. I uplift it. I overcome for the sake of Hashem and I, and I elevate the physical to His service. And that's a greater, and, that, and that's and that's the greatest level. It's easy to be a meditating monk somewhere up in the Himalayas, completely not undistracted, uninvolved in the physical world, and imitating an angel. But you, you're never going to be as great as an angel. What's difficult is to use your free will to uplift the physical world, to not get bogged down by it, to only use it for the sake of heaven. That's, that's what Chazal said. That's where we disagree with the Greeks. That is the machlekes that we had with, 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 with the Yevonim. Now what about AGI? What about artificial general intelligence? Does it have any of the characteristics necessary for free will? So, Der Hashem, the Ramchal, teaches us that free will is based on the, the, this, what we just discussed, the free will, the greatness of free will is based on three fundamental things. Number one, having a tug of war, having multiple choices in front of you that are pu- pulling you in opposite directions. One, towards the spiritual, one, towards the physical. Number two, consciousness, the ability to reflect on your position, on your situation, and to make a decision that is not already programmed into the system to reflect on what I'm seeing and to dictate my own path. And finally, is that this free will decision should change me, should change the physical person, should, cha- should uplift the physicality. And the most direct way it does that, does that is that the physical person himself changes every time he chooses to serve Hashem, as we discussed earlier. That literally every time I think that I, I have a choice which thought to think, every time I have a choice which words to utter, every time I have a choice which action to do, and I choose to do the good and not 
to do the bad, not to get involved in the physical, but to rather do the, the uh, to, to serve Hashem. I am rewiring my, my brain. I'm uplifting the physical. I'm changing things. I'm making things more elevated. Those are the three things that we have. On the other side, let's, let's try to see now, what about AGI? So one thing we can say pretty straightforward is there's no, there's no tug of war. There are, there are no two competing parts. And the reason is because it is strictly intellectual. It is just, it is just raw intellect. I, there's a robot that the, 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 the robotic body that the AGI, you know, the, the, the computer sits inside of, or even the hardware of the computer itself, that's irrelevant. The two of them are completely decoupled. I mean, the program is not at all influenced by the physical needs of the robot or of its hardware. It may be aware of what those needs are, but those needs say nothing and don't pull, don't tug at all on the heartstrings of the, of, of the computer program. With us, the way the mind is, is, the way the mind is built is that there's layers and layers of, of, um, of existence. You have what's called the nefesh, the nefesh in Chazal, that's referring to the living force inside of every living cell. That's the nefesh. The neuron, if you imagine a neuron, a brain cell, it has a nefesh, it's alive. And like every living cell, it wants to do one very simple thing. It's trying to live. That's all it wants to do, that's because it has a nefesh, it's alive. It's trying to live. A whole bunch of neurons together have something very different. They have ruach. They have an emergent property where they all, besides being a cell that wants to live, now there's processing happening. There's processing. There's a brain that's processing information. No neuron processor. Neurons do one thing. They shoot. They shoot electrical impulses. But there's an emergent property. Something that the sum has that, that the whole of its parts doesn't, don't have, which is, which is called Ruach. And which means that there's already a two-tier system. There's the Nefesh, that's the living cells themselves. Then superimposed on top of that, I should be more correct for the, for the experts in the audience, is the Neshama Sheba Nefesh. Is, is in, is in the... Um, is in the neurons, is in the cells themselves, then on a higher level, the brain itself, that's the neshama shebaruach, that's the, that's the ruach, that's the spirit, that's the higher plane of processing that's happening, and that wants to, you know, uh, also has its own calculation, it's all cheshbonos, it's all its own decisions, and then superimposed on top of that, is a neshama, is a soul which is able to, which is conscious, it reflects, it contemplates, it's awed, it's, it's, uh, um, 
transcends the brain and becomes a mind. And that mind itself has many, has many layers to it. There's the three layers of the neshama. I'm not going to go into that right now, but higher and higher levels inside of each one. And so a person is a whole vertical system, whole integrated system, where the lower parts want to do just a very simple thing. They just want to live. If you want to get some nutrition right now, give me a little bit of sugar. I want hydration. I'm tired. I want to sleep. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we all do. I, I, I still say it's unbelievable. Since I became from, when I was, when I was in medical school, that was in uh, 2004. I've been tired ever since. Baruch Hashem, it's unbelievable, unbelievable way to live. We don't have time, who has time to sleep until 10, until 10 a.m. on Sunday? So, right, so, 10, that's probably nothing. Some people sleeping in until later than that. But, Baruch Hashem. So yeah, so you got these things pulling in you from the lower parts. It, it, it's, this, it's the system itself, the same system that's trying to think those same neurons that comprise the brain, that support the mind, those same neurons, they're the ones that are wanting the rest. They're the ones that are wanting the nutrition. Right? So it's an, it's an internal battle, it's a struggle inside the actual thinking thing itself for control. AGI has none of this. There's no tug of war. There's a program. The... We'll take a moment. It's, uh, it's not my expertise. I spent uh, uh, on, uh, quite a bit of time trying to understand it. It's not my expertise. Um, I'll share with you what I, how I understand what what uh, deep neural networks are, uh, just just so people understand a little bit. Uh, but it's obviously the, the full the full uh, analysis beyond the scope of what we're doing over here. Uh, artificial intelligence is based on deep neuronal networks, which sounds sounds very similar to us. It's neurons, deep neural networks, and neurons, right? So the way it works is you have a whole string of inputs, meaning a, a whole bunch of neurons. They're really just numerical values, right? But they act as neurons that they many different positions, and each one is processing a new piece of information, and then they basically forward what they what they received to a, 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 another layer which processes processes it on a deeper level and another one another one and when you have enough of them it can it can come to very complex mathematical equations but the secret behind the deep neuronal networks which sounds like neurons is modeled on a neuronal system at the end of the day, when you're done building this thing, there's nothing physical. All it is is one long mathematical equation. Very complicated mathematical equation. There are no neurons. I could write that mathematical equation on this piece of paper. I could burn this piece of paper and write it on a different piece of paper. I could put it into this computer or I can delete it from there. I could put it into a different computer. The equation has, although it itself 
is, so to speak, an intellect, which means because the equation knows how to handle information that you throw at it. Right? If I feed it this information, it says, do this. If I feed it that information, it says, do that. So, it, there is seemingly an intellect here, but before we discuss what kind of an intellect it is, what we want to establish right now is that that intellect is completely disembodied. It's completely detached from any physicality. And it's being run on a plain old computer, just as long as you have a you know, good, good computer, just a good processor. Right? There's no, there, there's no uh, actual neuronal networks. There's, there's, no, there's no neurons there. There's just a very large mathematical equation. Um, so, so it's impossible to have a tug of war because the mathematical equation is completely d- disembodied, it's completely detached from the physical. The next criteria that we said that we have for free will is consciousness. To the ability to reflect on what's happening, take a look at it, take a step back, look at myself, look at what I'm thinking, look at what I'm doing, put a value judgment on it. Consciousness. This is a very big discussion that I want to come back to in a few minutes. But first, the, uh, I want to deal with the third criteria that we said of, uh, of elevating, of uplifting the physical world as a result of the execution of the free will. When I use the free will, I transform the physical world around me most directly by transforming the physical world inside of me that again is completely impossible being that the software of AGI is entirely detached from the hardware. The best analogy that I can give as to what's happening with us is imagine if you had a computer program running and as it runs it actually burns. I learned a cool I learned a cool um, little gadget there is there is out there. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Um, a circuit where if they have very specific things they want the computer to process, a particular type of process it wants, so they actually burn that pathway into the processor itself. Into it's actually it's actually hardwired. You know this type of thinking into the processor itself, as opposed to just the software sitting on the, so to speak, a, a blank slate of hardware, right? So with us, as we're thinking our thoughts, we're burning those pathways, we're strengthening those pathways themselves, which means there's, there's a direct relationship between the thoughts that we're thinking and the way that our brains are actually physically wired. Whereas with AGI, the two of them are completely, deta- are completely separate, like we said. So that, so that would also be missing. Nonetheless, so, so, the, so we have seemingly shown that at least in our worldview, where we are greater than angels, because we have free will, which means we have, we have a tug of war going on, and when we make our decisions, we elevate the physical, that is uniquely human, that greatness is what makes us greater than angels, is the same thing, though, even if AGI is conscious, we're going to discuss consciousness in a minute, but even if it would be conscious, seemingly, that would be an open machloikas, 
from from uh, over two thousand years ago between <laughs> us and the Yivonim, who is greater, the one that's more abstract, the disembodied intellect, or the embodied intellect, which is us. Um, so we have to. Um, okay, so uh, again, I want to ask everyone. Apology. Uh, we just uh, there's about four hours of worth of uh, information here that we're trying to cram in before Marev. So please, I urge you, encourage you. We did pass out, I believe, index cards. Write down your questions. I want to hear your questions. I want to discuss them. It's it just uh, not the time does not allow for it. Yeah, if you can pass those around, just just take and pass. Just whoever, uh, just take one and, and pass it to your to your side. Thank you so much. Now we get into the discussion, can AGI be conscious? Consciousness. Consciousness is an unbelievable thing. Ability to reflect. Ability to see oneself. Now, the tricky part about figuring out who is conscious and who is not conscious is that consciousness is self-reported. Consciousness is something that you can't really... You can't really know who has it or not unless you can communicate with them and ask them. Um, so, but maybe we could just figure it out. We can we can abstract it. Well, we're, what we're going to need to do is we're going to have to study very well the only being that we know to be conscious, which is man. We don't know any other being to be conscious. I, mean, I guess uh, you could ask an angel... But if you see him, can you ask him, you know, when Mashiach is coming? So, reflecting, reflecting on, our, on ourselves, it takes two things. It takes, number one, that someone should be home. There's someone, there's someone, not simply crunching information, processing information, but there should be someone taking this information in. There's a, there's a thought experiment that, uh, that's been proposed. Imagine there's a, it's called the Chinese library, a large room with lots of Chinese books. There's a librarian, very nice man, he doesn't speak Chinese. But he has large books with instructions on them. The whole library is filled with instruction books. And the instructions say, whatever he, people walk up to the library, they slip, Chinese people of course, and they slip a note with a Chinese question on it, written in Chinese. The man doesn't read any Chinese, he doesn't know Chinese. But he takes the note and he analyzes the symbols and he follows the instructions in his books. And if he sees this symbol, then he knows that he's supposed to go and open up the really large green book and go to this page. And then there it tells him to look at on the note, and if it says this, go this. And he goes around, and he opens up all the different books, and he follows all the instructions. And then the books, in the end, they tell him which, which symbols to write. And he writes symbols on the same note, on the back of the note, and he slips it out the other end. And every person that reads the note says, Unbelievable. 
That's exactly that was exactly the answer I was looking for, right? He knew exactly what I was asking him. Does does the Chinese librarian know the and know the information that he's being asked? Does he know Chinese? Why not? Any question you pose to him in Chinese, he answers perfectly in Chinese. The only difference is he's completely not conscious of it. Right? This exercise is to show us what consciousness is. There's no there, there, there's no um, one home. He's just a robot. He's just following the instructions. And although you have a great library, that's the equivalent of a really good equation, right? But at the end of the day, there's no one taking this in. It's not real, this knowledge, by anyone. If someone posed to him the question, hey, here's the question, and, uh, you know, should we drop a nuclear bomb on this city? Then the answer would be yes, potentially. But, but it, would be, it would be without any... Without, without anything tied to it, it would mean nothing to it. It would be just another question. It would be processed in the same way, by opening up the big books in the library. So, the, the, here we're seeing the difference between that I, there has to be someone home. Even an animal has someone home. If you ever saw an animal who's scared, right? It's the entirety of the animal who's trying to be alive, and he's clawing at the door, He's trying to get out. He wants to live. There's a nefesh here. There's something that unites the entire thing into one creature who has a goal that he, that he actually really wants to happen. He wants it to happen. It's not that just that he has a goal. For a computer, you tell him, here's your goal. He will do everything he can to execute that goal. But, but there's no want. There's no one who is saying, oh no, what I want is not going to happen. Oh no, I'm not going to get that thing. <clears throat> now the, qu- the question is, can, can there be something to unify this thing, to, to, to make it that there's a, someone conscious, someone processing it, someone on the other end actually, actually experiencing this knowledge? This experiential knowledge. Even angels, they, there's someone there. They, they recognize it, it's a created being. That, that Hashem made a separate being. If a robot, if a robot will be nothing but many, many different pieces. And a computer program is nothing but a very long math equation. Then there's nothing alive. There's nothing, there's nothing that wants, there's nothing that's reflecting, there's nothing that's yearning. And finally, there's the experience. <coughs> An abacus, a, uh, one of these ancient ancient uh, tools that was used before the calculator was invented, where you move the little balls around, right? The, it calculates things, and it gets very, very complicated, but it's still doing nothing but calculating things. And the, and, 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 the, and the equation will never be alive unless the equation 
is founded upon something that is itself alive and dependent on this 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 uh, this equation to keep it going to 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 give it life the, the, the thing wants that the thing has a nefesh and the thing has a ruach now, i'm not getting into right now whether whether it takes a hashem to do it or not that's a, a separate discussion but but we're just pointing out that that as long as the thing doesn't have something to unify it and to and to make it one and to make it that it has a, a fundamental uh, desire and yearning for something, it's never gonna, it's never going to be anything more than just an equation. The connection between the equation and the robot is a happenstance. I can take the equation, I can move it somewhere else. The equation doesn't care about the robot. With us, I am my brain. I'm, I am much more than my brain. But if not for my brain, I am also not. My mind springs from my brain. It's an emergent property of my brain. My brain springs forth from my neurons. It's an emergent property of the neurons. It comes out from it. And the whole thing is one. Oh, uh, I found the, the, the word that I was looking for. Application-specific integrated circuit. As the ones that are, the circuits themselves are custom tailored for the particular type of thinking. That's what we're constantly doing. We're doing, we're generating in ourselves that there's a, but no computer can, by simply running the software, actually all the, the running the software is altering the hardware. That's the, that's the, where the two are tied together. I wanna, I wanna end off. With an unbelievable Zohar. The Zohar says, what does it mean that the Pasuk says, Pasuk and Mishle says, Chocham Enel Barosho. A wise man, his eyes are in his head. Says the Zohar, and where would you think his eyes are going to be? In his foot? It's a good question, no? So it says, what it means is that a Chochem, someone who really loves Chochmah, understands that if you want Chochmah, you make sure that you have the Shekhinah above your head. You have the Divine Presence above your head. Because the way that we, that we achieve true Intellectual supremacy, true greatness, is by connecting to the divine, and the way that we do that is with our maishim, says, says the Zohar. It's through our righteous deeds. When we do righteous deeds, like we've spoken about before, you're elevating the physical, that's the biggest cover to Hashem. Hashem wants to be here with us. The analogy that the Zohar gives is that of a candle. Although you want that fire up there, but the fire up there at the top of the candle, it needs the oil to be constantly going up and feeding it. It needs the physical oil to be going up and feeding and, and fueling that fire. So too with us. If you want to be a chacham, 
Put your, put your eyes on the Shekhinah that's above you. Be paying attention to it. Be all the time making sure that I'm supplying enough oil that the fire above my head keeps on burning. How do I do that with righteous deeds? That was the big machlekes we had with the Greeks. If you look in the beginning of the Kuzari, the, the discussion that he's having with the philosophers, the philosopher says, the actions are irrelevant. The only significance of the actions is that they shouldn't ruin your intellect. But really, ideally, the actions are right. If you could be a disembodied intellect, that would be the best. And we know it is, it is, it is exactly my actions that help me to relate to the divine, that help me to connect to something so much greater. I'm able to bring honor to Hashem's name through my actions. And by doing that, I build that relationship and I get the ultimate chokhmah, the type of chokhmah that the Yivonim can never get, that the Greeks can never have such a chokhmah. Because they are always about the, the disembodied intelligence. The best equation possible. You, you can find that perfect equation, that's, that's the greatest thing there is. And we say, that's nice, but that fire is going to fizzle, it's going to fly away that fire. And as far as up there, there's much bigger fire up there, there's Hashem up there. What I want to be is I want to be a candle down here. That's what I want to be. That's why we're burning candles on Hanukkah. Because we recognize that it is by providing the oil through the Maishim Torah, through the righteous, through the mysterious nefesh of the Hashmanoim, that by doing that, I make my thinking, then my thinking can take it and elevate it. And elevate the physical world. And that brings the greatest covet to Hashem. That brings the greatest honor to Hashem. That fulfills All of Hashem's deeds were, were for His name. Everything in this world, the greatest thing it could do is to bring honor to Hashem's name. That's what we're doing at Hanukkah. That's the Muhammad we follow with the Yivonim. It's very exciting times we're living in. Artificial intelligence is perhaps the greatest tool we've ever invented. It's going, to be, it's going to be unbelievable. We're all going to be able to sit and learn. Learn, not just learn, learn, daven, do mitzvahs. It's going, to be, it's going to be great. But someone wants to come and they want to tell you that the thing is a super intelligence, the thing is greater than you, it may, be, it, it may crunch a lot more data than you, but it almost certainly is not conscious and it's not it, it, it's a, it's, a, it's a Chinese librarian, and it's not thinking, and there's no question that it's not transforming and elevating the physical world, which is what we're doing. And I invite everyone to do that now together, davening a beautiful Mara. We're going to light the Hanukkah together now, and uh, and celebrate this unbelievable holiday. Thank you all for coming. I'm going to stick around afterwards for questions. Thank you.